Uh, I need some help with some audience participation. So listen, I need five people that can really ham it up, tell a story, be a part of an acting troupe. We'll put it together today and we'll go on the road later. Uh, so if you want to play the part of the narrator in this story, it doesn't require a costume, it just requires a voice, please raise your hand, everybody at once. Jason, I got Jason in the back. Rusty, we're going to use you though. Jason, come on down. How about this? This is the role of a lifetime. I need a Jesus in the room. It doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, but you will have to wear a wig and a beard. It doesn't matter though, unless you have one that you supply in yourself. How about Joe Hamden? You look like a good Jesus. Come on down there, Jesus. Yeah, I'll give him a big round of applause as he is unwilling to be here. I need a Philip. A Philip, you got minimal lines, but you have a key role in the house of Philip. Any Philips in the house? Scomp, you're going to be a Philip. Come on up. I'm just pulling people now, man. Don't even look at me. No eye contact. I don't care. I'll do it. Andrew, I need an Andrew. Very small stuff. Andrew. Guy, girl, Andrew. Andrew in the house. Don't everybody at once volunteer here now. Chet, I saw your hand go up. Maybe that was involuntary, but I thought, oh, no, you don't want to do it. Okay. Don't want to do it. Aaron Arms, why don't you come up and be Andrew? Oh, Chet's going to do it. Yes, let's hear it for Chet. He was just scratching his head. Okay, and a boy. I need a boy. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, but uh, somebody to play the part of the boy. There is no speaking lines. You just have to present something. Look at you guys. You... I know it's like, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, but come on now. A boy, a boy, a boy. Any boys, any boys. Hand, hand. I'm just going to stand here the whole time until we get a boy. Matt Hill, you have boyish features. Why don't you come on up here? The hair's not boyish. But the features are, yeah. I've used you a lot for things, haven't I? Okay, here's my key players. I've got a microphone. Thank you, Vanna. Appreciate that. Yeah. So we've got our narrator. Jason is our narrator. I'm going to actually stand behind you and hold the microphone, okay? So here's the story. It's Luke, or John 6, rather. And if you are in, uh, you have a Bible in front of you, John 6, turn there. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, um, there is one of the chair rack in the front of you. So here we go. We're going to start with the narrator. And we're going to tell this story of feeding of the 5,000. You all ready? Let's try it again. Are you all ready? Yeah, there we go. Roll of a lifetime, Jason. He has five barley loaves. Oh, other side of the page. We're on page two. Let's, there we go. There we go. Sorry, bro. Yeah. A huge crowd followed Jesus. They were attracted by the miracles he had seen him do like healing the sick and restoring the sight to the blind. While Jesus was talking to his 12 disciples, he looked up and saw that a huge crowd had gathered around him. Jesus said to his disciple, named Philip. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Jesus, did you look up? Did you? You were supposed to look up. Did you? Okay, good. Yeah, there we go. All right, Jesus. Where can we buy bread to feed these people? Can you do it with a little bit more projection? Okay. Where can we buy bread to feed these people? It's kind of like pirate Jesus, but we'll take it. Arr! Yeah. Jesus asked this question to stretch Philip's faith, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Philip said to Jesus. And Philip is like ZZ Top over here. Here you go, Billy. Yeah. Even if we worked eight months and saved every dime we made, we still wouldn't have enough money to feed this gigantic crowd of people. Then Andrew, another one of the 12 disciples, spoke up and said, Come on, Chet, let's hear it. There is a little boy here. He's adorable. <laughs> Perfect. 
You're good. You're good. His mama packed him a little lunch. Hey, what's in the basket? Hey, little boy, what's in the basket? What's in the basket? A taco. A taco. Okay. That's, I think that's mine. Uh, yeah. What do we got? Two fish. fish. And what else? What do we have uh, there, Andrew? He has five barley loaves of bread and two small fish and a taco. And a taco, yeah. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd of this large. Yep. Jesus said to his disciples, Tell everyone to find a place to sit. <laughs> you need a peg leg. There was plenty of grass for the crowd to sit on, so they all sat down. About 5,000 men were counted in the crowd. It was huge. Then Jesus took the bread and the fish, and the little boy gave to him, and thanked God for the meager meal. After the prayer had ended, Jesus asked his disciples to hand out the bread and the fish to the crowd. Miraculously, the baskets never went empty. Everyone ate their fill of bread and fish. When everyone was full... Jesus told his disciples, Collect all the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. We can have them for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> and hoist the sails. <laughs> oh, man. I should never put the ham as Jesus. Eh? Okay, lastly, here we go, Jason. I'm sorry. sorry. Twelve baskets of food were left over, one basket for each disciple. When the crowd saw this amazing miracle of Jesus, they said, And the crowd said, this is the prophet of God that we have been waiting for. Let's give them a big round of applause as they head off stage. Go ahead, guys. Well done. Okay, that's a bit of fun, isn't it? And buffoonery, absolute buffoonery. But I'm so glad that they got to play that part. And I'll tell you what, their experience, I'm sure they could tell you, was way different than your all's experience because there is a basic common truth and that is there is a difference between being a part of the story and watching the story. There's a difference. There's a difference about acting it out and doing it than watching it unfold before you. There's a difference in being a musician in the orchestra than just listening to the orchestra. There's a difference in being a part of the team on the field than just watching the team on the field. This past spring, uh, my family went to uh, the Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, we were there and watching this documentary that was about ready to unfold before us. No one was in this gigantic theater, and um, it was my boys and I in a row. Then in that row ahead of us, there was a, a man that was pretty loud in his talking, so we couldn't help but eavesdrop upon their conversation. And then a, a row ahead of him was a 3X Air Force retired guys, old vets. They were, they were all three pi pilots. We came to find out through the conversation that was happening between the guy in front of us and them. And then we heard this story unfold about how this guy in front of us said, I almost served. You ever heard guys like that? I almost served. To which I hear this voice from my left in my row say, almost doesn't cut it, buddy. Like, I was absolutely mortified. And either the guy didn't hear it, or he pretended not to hear it. So I look down the row, and I look at my voice, and I say, be respectful. And that's when I hear, almost doesn't count, sir. Oh. 
It's not exactly what I had in mind, you know? Like changing the end of that from buddy to sir was not what, that one he heard, that one he heard. But you know what they were saying? Almost serving is not the same as serving. And that's the truth. Almost doing it is not the same as actually doing it. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000 that day, and when he asked his disciples, what do we do here? Guys, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was just uh, wanting to get them involved. He was wanting them to be a part of the story. He was giving them a chance to participate, to allow them to fill a role and to be a part of this. And I know they were doing, they were looking around at their, their resources because Jesus said, how are you going to solve it? And they may, immediately went to their pocketbook. They immediately went to their shelves. They immediately went to their talents and resources, and they said, we can't solve it. 5,000 people cannot be fed. Jesus, it's going to take a miracle. You ever felt that way about some of the needs in our community? Like, it's not, we, we've been throwing, like, gov- the government has been throwing trillions of dollars at poverty and trillions of dollars at, at all sorts of welfare things. You can say, we just can't, it doesn't seem like it can be solved. The church has stepped in and tried to get on board with that. Uh, nonprofits have stepped in, and it doesn't seem like the needs in front of us can be solved. Let me just, let me just list off some of the greatest needs that our, our region has. I just wrote some down this last week. Substance abuse. Yeah, it's there. Addiction. Mental health. The lack of access to health care. Poverty. Broken families, physical and mental abuse. Guys, you could probably continue to add on to that list and make that a long laundry list of problems. And I'll tell you what, every single one of them looks gigantic and huge. And every one of us can say, you know what, we've been trying to solve this. We've been trying to remedy this for decades. We've thrown all sorts of money at it, staggering amounts of money, and we can't seem to figure it out. So why should we even continue? Because we're not making a dent. You know, last week I read this incredible article. It blew me away. It came out of Re- uh, Relevant Magazine, uh, a Christian publication, and they kind of proposed this what-if scenario. And the premise was this, what if Christians were to increase their financial giving to 10% over their total income? Like every Christian, every believer just said, you know what, you're going to get 10% of my income, and we're just going to start giving that way. Uh, they said, you know what, we'd have $165 billion more a year. And you know what you could do with that? Well, they, they started to total it and run the numbers. They said 25 billion of that could go to defeat global hunger and preventable disease. That could be defeated in five years if the church just got involved. 15 billion could have clean water source over five years. Everybody in the world could have clean water source if the church just got involved. 12 billion to el- eliminate illiteracy could be done. One billion to fully fund world evangelism. To fully fund the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world takes the least amount on that board. And then what do you do with 112 billion? What do you do with the extra? Well, that's surplus. It could be used for additional ministry. Is that crazy or what? If we just said, we're all going to participate. We're all going to raise our hand and we're going to join the story. We're not going to be embarrassed. We're, not, we're, we're going to do what God has asked us to do. We're going to join the story. But I know how it is. Like the disciples, you look back and say, this can't be done. Like, we can't solve our community's problems. We can't get this done. And some of us back away from it and we just say, I can't do it. I don't have the resources. I can't do it. But what if, what if we, like, what if we tried to do it? Not just you, but what if we, what if we just said, we're going to take a shot at it. We're going we're gonna to take a shot at trying to meet some community needs. The best way we know how 
We're just going to start working on it together. Even though my limited resources are there and your limited resources are there, maybe God can take that limitless and turn it into something limitless or abundant. And this is what Jesus was doing. When Jesus looked at that crowd and he looked at his disciples and he stared at them and he said, what are you going to do about it? What he was doing was he was taking those 12 men, his disciples, and he was drawing them in to the story. Friends, God is drawing you into the story. He is drawing you into the story. He's inviting you to take part in this amazing plan that he has for this world to to redeem it, to save it, to rescue it. He's inviting you in to help solve some problems that exist right here in your neighborhood. They might even be your neighbor, even problems that seem overwhelming and impossible to solve. And today, today I am challenging you to be an actor in this story. To be an actor, a key player in this story that God is drawing us into. So here's what we are planning to do today. We had a great need arise before us over the last couple weeks. And we're asking everybody after this service concludes to go and to to get something. And to bring it to a a drop-off location to meet the need. We have two organizations in our communities that are helping others out in a way in which we aren't. Heart to heart and Pregnancy Care Center. One is in Vincennes, and one is in Washington. And both of these organizations help women in crisis. They help women that are sitting there on the fence and saying, do I keep the baby or don't I keep the baby? Do I have the resources to do this because I feel limited? But what if we all got together and abundantly supplied that place with things that cost those single mothers or those people in crisis an awful lot of money? What if we just got together and said, there's different price points, there's there's diapers, there's, there's baby lotions, there's there's baby soap, there's baby wipes, and, and you're going, boy, I can't afford four diapers. I've got limited resources. I, I don't, the diapers are expensive. I've got two in diapers right now, my 13-year-old and my nine-month-old, but <laughs> don't repeat that. Don't repeat that. But I, I just went online. I found out baby magic costs $2.73 at Walmart, and who doesn't like the smell of a baby lathered in baby magic? That's just a great smell. For $2.73, I'm going to tell you more about that as we close up our service. But here's what I'm asking you to do today. I mean, at the heart of it, I'm asking that you let God's love come to you so it can go through you. That's what I'm asking you today. I'm asking you to be compassionate today. I'm asking you to have a broken heart today. I'm asking you to be merciful today. That's what I'm asking you. You see, when Jesus said the 5,000, it wasn't an insignificant moment. It was a moment where he looked out and he knew what he was going to do, but the disciples had no clue what to do. And he put the problem right on the disciples. And here's what I find out is a great message within that miracle. Message number one, there is no hunger too deep that Jesus cannot satisfy. He can satisfy any hunger. Friends, we recognize around here at Bethany that there are greater needs outside of physical needs. We recognize that there's greater needs than diapers. We recognize that there's greater needs than even shelter. We recognize that there is a spiritual need. That is the greatest need we have. And so did Jesus. So did Jesus. But he knew he couldn't get there immediately unless he first asked or helped them physically. You see, Jesus looked at that crowd that day, and here's what he said. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. Have you recognized that every single time that Jesus interacts with somebody and he sees a crowd, there's two words that are commonplace. Either he had mercy upon them or he had compassion upon them. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to let God's love come to me, and I'm going to let it go through me. Friends, without a doubt, Bethany Christian Church is here to meet physical needs. Without a doubt. But that's just an avenue. That's just an on-ramp. That's just a means 
to do what we do best, what is our bread and butter, and that is to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life, the bread that saves us and keeps us and sustains us, not just temporarily, but for all of eternity. And I'm just here to give you this, this little quip and little truth about you and I and the rest of humanity, that people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this, this community is filled with all sorts of problems. There's all sorts of huge challenges that we are faced with. But I'll tell you what, the greatest challenge and the greatest problem is the spiritual problem, isn't it? We know that as a church. But we will never have a right to have an open ear with them until they discover first how much we care for them. You know, the gospel writer of John, he concludes this story by saying that after Jesus had fed the people, he went away. Jesus retreated from the crowds, but he couldn't escape the crowds, right? Jesus is like a walking cafeteria. So they follow after Jesus because their stomachs are full, but they know something is missing in their life. There's something that they're starving for, and it's something within their soul that they're starving for. It's something that is spiritual, they were spiritually minded people. Let's not forget that these problems that we face are faced with in our community, they might be felt needs, but at the heart of this, the real solve is a spiritual solve, isn't it? Friends, there is no greater hunger whose pains aren't found in the stomach, but are found in the heart. Blair Pascal, a, a theologian in the, the Catholic side of faith, he had said this about a God-shaped hole that exists within us. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. You know, we believe that around here. Sometimes you hear it said like this, that we kind of have this hankering, this longing, this hook back towards the Garden of Eden where we say, we just want to get back to having a relationship with our creator because we all know right here in our heart of hearts that without something spiritual, we're missing it if life is only physical. If life is only temporal, but not eternal, we've missed it. And so we know we need to let people in, not just on the five loaves and the two fish, but on the one who is the bread of life. But we also know that when we hand out the loaves and we hand out the fish and we begin to meet people's needs, they're more willing and open to say, I'm starving spiritually as well. I'm full now, but my heart's not. And we have the perfect answer, don't we? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is is why we serve. Jesus is why we're generous. Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Jesus is the only Savior, and we need a Savior because we are all sinners. Friends, we know around here that the food we serve and the gifts that we give generously are just temporary compared to the message of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins through Him, which is eternal. Let's never forget. Let's never forget that Christ is King. Second, Thing that we can learn from the story is there is no person too small that Jesus can use. There's no person too small. I mean, there's a little boy in the story, John chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, Jesus specifically asks Andrew to go and solve the problem. Andrew comes back and he says, hey, I've got this little boy here, but he's got small fish and he's got small bread. Everything about the situation is small. Everything about the resource is small. Are you catching it in Andrew's answer there? It's just a boy, doesn't have anything to offer. Jesus says, by the way, what he's offering to me, I don't have much to offer to you because there's 5,000 men there. They're hungry. It could be 15,000 people total. How's that going to go so far? Just recognize, would you, that the meal might have been meager, but Jesus took that meager meal and turned it into a mighty miracle. That's what he does. That's what he does when we come to him and say, I know it's small, but it's what I, what I got. 
You know, it's interesting, Jesus never asks you more than what you got. It was a small lunch by a small boy, but Jesus was able to use the small and do something big with it. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you what, that boy offered a poor man's lunch, but Jesus took it as a rich offering, and he did something very incredible with it. Friends, you don't have to have a lot to do a lot. You don't have to have a lot to do a lot. And yet, that's a lot of our excuse, isn't it? I just don't have a lot to do a lot. And Jesus is not asking more than what you have. He's just asking for what you do have, to be willing to offer that to God. Adrian Rogers was a pastor in, in the Tennessee area, now passed away, an amazing preacher. He says, for a miracle like this to happen again, where God can meet an enormous need and solve some incredible problems, it's going to take three kinds of ingredients. Number one, Christians must be willing to transfer what they have to Jesus. Now, Jesus will take it, but they've got to be willing to say, Jesus, it's yours. You know that little boy didn't say, let me have one fish and just two loaves of bread, and you can have the rest. Uh, he had an act of faith. Here's everything that I've got, and it might be meager, but I, I believe, Jesus, you can do something great with it. You can, you can solve the world's problems with this. Like that widow in Mark 12 that Jesus sees put in the copper coins in the temple treasury, and you could hear it. You could hear it drop, and so Jesus knew. He knew it wasn't much. Instead of chastising her, he looked up at her and he said, she out of her poverty put everything, all that she had to live on, a recognition that Jesus doesn't look at the amount of the gift, he looks at the sacrifice in which the gift was given. That's rad. He's not caring about the amount, he looks at the sacrifice at the heart of it, and he sees this little boy offering his lunch, and what that little boy did when he walked away, he knew he wasn't going to go away hungry because he gave it to the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one that could take that meager meal and transform it into a mighty miracle. Adrian Rogers says there's a second recipe for the miracle, and that is Jesus took what was given to him. Like, you just have to remember, what you give, Jesus will take. Even though you don't think it's much, it's great. Jesus only asks for what you give, not for what you don't have. Like, think of the story about Mary who anointed Jesus with a bottle of expensive perfume. That's all she had. She didn't have anything else to love on Jesus with, to devote herself to Jesus with. And you know what Jesus said to her about that anointing, about what she did? He said, she did what she could. She, did, she had what she had. She did what she could. She gave what she could give. That's what she did. And I'll take that, and I'll honor that. You see, sometimes we say, I don't have the resources, Jesus, so I can't solve this big problem that's ahead of me, so just keep me out of it. Or until everybody else buys into it, that's when I'll start to give into it? How about this little motto? I know I can't help everyone, but I can help someone. How about we get there? I know I, can, I, know I can't help everyone, but I can certainly help the someone that's right in front of me. And God asks you to do what you can. God asks you to give what you have, not what you don't have. Here's the third part to the recipe for a miracle like this to happen again, and that is we just have to be willing to be transformed. Did you catch that? We have to be willing to be transformed. I've got to just say, God, I recognize you can do something great, and you can do something great through me. Please do not insult God by saying, he can't use you. Don't insult God by saying, you're too limited. What you're doing is not making an impact. No, that's an insult to God. You've handed him your meagerness, and he's going to do something mighty with it. Do you believe that? You see, God specializes in taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things. That's what God specializes in. And I just happen to be ordinary. And so do you. And God can do something absolutely extraordinary through us with that. And you might be too big to be used by God, but you can never be too small to be used by God. 
Some of us in this room just need to drop our pride and get to a level where we can be small enough to be used because God will never be the one that says, I can't use you. The last part to this, this miracle, and that is there is no problem too big that Jesus can't solve. And I think we just forget this side of it here. Uh, Philip and the disciples knew the crowd. Uh, they knew that the crowd was hungry. They knew the crowd needed to be fed. And some of us would look at that and we'd say, when they tell Jesus we can't do it, that, that's pessimistic. But you think Andrew and Philip saw themselves as pessimists? No. They probably saw themselves as realists. Do we have any realists in the room? Where you just look at the situation and you say, can't happen. It's not that I'm a pessimist, it just, it just can't happen. Like, the numbers don't add up, Matt. It just doesn't make sense that that is going to work. And when Jesus saw the crowd, and he saw that they were hungry, he asked Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And you know what Philip said? There's not a Walmart close. There's not a JC's close. Not my problem. When Jesus saw the crowd, he looked to Philip. And Philip answers, Jesus, eight months wages. I could keep all that money, and I could save it away, and I could spend all that money on this crowd for food, and it still wouldn't be enough food. Isn't it interesting that Philip took Jesus to a place that I would have taken Jesus to a place? My pocketbook isn't big enough. My treasury can't get this done. But that's not what Jesus was asking him for. He wasn't asking Philip for money to buy resources. He was saying, Philip, what do you have right now that can meet this need? And while all the disciples were running around trying to find something, friends, I want you to know there was no panic in heaven that day. There was, all, there was already a plan. God was going to use whatever was given, and he was going to multiply it and use it. That's what God does. He takes the sacrifice, and he multiplies it, and he uses it. Friends, I think sometimes we just honestly forget about the power of God at work within us. We just simply forget that the one who has given us the resurrection that Spirit of God resides right here. And that when we see a problem in front of us, when we see a person who's in crisis, we forget that God is in their midst. We forget that God can do greater things, that He has capability, and He wants to use me to help meet the need the best way I possibly can. You know why I think it's interesting? The disciples probably looked at that crowd and they said, why didn't these people plan better? They knew they were going to be in the middle of a desert where there was no food. Why didn't they just plan better? And Jesus looks and says, you give them something to eat. Not, it wasn't spiritual language, just like you solve their problem. See what you can do about it. There's nothing spiritual when Jesus says, you give them something. He's just saying, you try your best to give them some food. And then they pipe up and say, we've got, we only have five loaves and two fish. Like Jesus, we tried to... We tried to solve the problem. We passed the plate around. There's just not enough. You see, there's five loaves and two fish. And it's almost as if you can hear it in the text. Jesus saying, and? And they say, it's two fish, Jesus, and five loaves. 
You almost hear Jesus go, and? Count again, fellas. Okay. Now, Matthew, why don't you get in on this? You're, you're, you're a tax collector. You know math. How many fish? One, two, two. Tally it up. How many loaves? One, two, three, four, five. What does that make, Matthew? Seven. Yeah, Jesus, see, we've got, we did the math. We got two fish. We got five loaves. That's all we got to feed all these people. It's not going to work. It's not going to work out. Hey, fellas, would you just count one more time? Do the math again. Okay. Two fish, five loaves, seven. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, two fish, five loaves, plus me. You see, fellas, you left out the most important part, me. Yeah, the two fish and the five loaves ain't going to solve the problem. But two fish plus five loaves plus Jesus? You can wipe out world hunger. You can wipe out addiction. You can bring a year's supply of baby wipes and diapers and lotions and soaps to a group that's on the forefront of a mission that we believe in. See, I think there's some basic stuff here, some very basic stuff. Like, when you don't include Jesus, we find ourselves with big problems and no real solution. But when you involve Jesus and you count to and count on Jesus, friends, all Things are possible. Now, in just a moment, at each campus, we're going to give you the directions on what we're going to do next as we go and get something and bring it back. But let me just spell out the needs real quick. The needs are on the screen in front of you, on your left and on your right. The challenge is to go and get and to bring immediately back diapers, sizes three to six, not size seven. They need three and six. Baby wipes, baby lotions, baby soaps. Now, I know how this works. I know how this works. Some of you are like, I can get an incredible deal on Amazon if they can just wait till Tuesday. You may not be around Tuesday, and there'll still be a need on Tuesday. Today. And you're saying, but why? Simple. A Jesus philosophy. Because they asked. Give to those that ask. Never push away those who want to borrow. You're saying, well, who are we helping? Heart to Heart in Vincennes, the Pregnancy Care Center in Washington. The needs are there in front of you. Take a picture, write them down. The stores in your area are ready for this. We've called ahead and said, make sure there's enough. They said, we will. We like business. We will. But I'm praying today that you say to God, today, God, I want to be part of the story. Almost serving friends isn't serving. Being a part of the story is so much different than watching it unfold.